0: Welcome to episode 149. Have you ever wondered, is the host of the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast plant-based? Maybe he's vegetarian. Maybe I'm even vegan. As you might be aware, a lot of people tie plants and health together in a harmoniously abundant dreamland of optimal health, and anything that is not plant-based is vilified. In fact, maybe you've assumed some healthy people you know must eat mainly plants. It's a common thing to think because plant-based marketing has done a superb job along with the old idea that our mums are all telling us to eat the veggies on our plate and get those Brussels sprouts in before dessert. And so on this episode, I want to let you know how I actually eat every single day. Am I veggie? Am I vegan? Am I not? You ready? Let's get into it. What's up, my healthy friends? It's my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthiest self before the end of December 2021, which isn't too far away. And our final intake is actually almost sold out, which is pretty exciting. So if you are interested, scroll down to the show notes below, join the Facebook group, answer the group entry questions, and you will enter a conversation with me to get in on this final intake for the year. And I should add that there's going to be a price change as well so uh if you want to be on the saving side of the situation (laughs) then this uh intake might be the last one that you can get in on and might be the last one that fits into your budget before we uh put the price up for 2022 crazy that i'm even saying 2022 anyway first thing i want to talk about is how are you doing how is everyone going Just this week, Melbourne became the most locked down city in the world. The city that I hang out in. And many of you listeners are also here suffering. I think today is day 247 that I'm recording this. We have a 9pm curfew still which has been around for months now and there's a lot going on here that mirrors the late 30s and early 40s of Germany and World War II and before World War II. Now, I know some people will roll their eyes at that and be like, oh, this idiot like comparing us to back then Uh, or what about the women in Afghanistan or all of these other, you know, totally dismissive statements. Um, But I would like to encourage you to acknowledge your intellectual ego And it's hard to do. We've all got one. But acknowledge your intellectual ego and put it out of the ring and actually just look at the facts of the situation that we're experiencing here in Australia. Because if you just look at the raw facts and compare them to multiple situations in history where dictators and horrible people have taken over and taken control of massive groups of people, the Australian situation is very reminiscent of a lot of situations in human history. Um, And I heard recently a professor... In history and philosophy, said if there's uh, in reference to Australia and Melbourne, particularly, uh, if there's something we've learned about. Uh, looking back at history It's that humans have learnt nothing About looking back in history And I thought that was a very pertinent statement To have heard Because uh, the situation here is quite horrific um, And I think the even more horrifying thing Is that Australians aren't collectively standing up Which is arguably a symptom Of our privileged culture over here And the fact that everybody gets to be on their own An individual Which means it leads to not trusting our fellow man And not feeling like we're in this together And you know families turning on each other friends turning on each other strangers attacking people that they would never have even spoke to before like it's insane it's absolutely insane. We've also, as Australians, we've never had anything to fight for. So we've got a couple of generations of people that haven't had to fight for very much. And, you know, I'm not including people that have come from different countries and, or are Aboriginal in that because you've had a lot to fight for. And many of the reasons that you may be in, in Australia is because you left a tyrannical situation. Much of the world's countries are dictatorships or communist countries. It's terrifying. So you may be somebody that has fought, but most Australians that were born here, parents born here, haven't had to fight for very much and so it's created this very weak culture plus if you add in all the toxic brain-numbing foods that we talk about on this podcast that make us all fat sick and nearly dead voila you have dumbed down the population of now confused idiots willing to accept anything it really it really is not good if you're an Aussie I really don't want to be in Australia and that's terrifying to say I'm not proud to be Australian uh, right now Um, and, and actually I don't even really know what it means to be Australian anymore. I know that it's been wiped off the list of places to go of many of my international friends and many of the speakers that I speak on retreats and summits with and, um, and yeah, and have on the podcast. Many people couldn't wait to get to Australia and now people want nothing to do with it. And I'm not far from being on that list as well. It's very terrifying. Um, but I would encourage you to take action, to find a way to take action. And you might say, why me? And I'll say, because if not you, who? And if not now, when? And if you're not Aussie, sharing this tyranny, sharing this podcast, sharing the word, the good word, it's definitely not the good word. It's a terrible word. Sharing this information about what's going on here in Australia to the world would be greatly appreciated because we need help and global pressure could actually be really useful right now. So, please get this information out there. Um, Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about food. (laughs) Now, I get this question a lot. Maddie, are you a vegan? Or Maddie, are you a vegetarian? Or Maddie, does your program cater to me if I'm vegan or vegetarian? And. It's been asked enough lately that I thought, I really need to put together a podcast because most of the people that end up in the Facebook group or in the program or clients have inevitably been through this podcast. So you may have drawn your own conclusions from listening to lots of these episodes, but I just want to come out and just just be super direct with everybody and be clear about what, what happens for me because I get this question a lot in the old DMs. So before we get into the functional side of things in reference to being plant-based, I want to acknowledge the ideological and self identity piece which is almost the biggest problem that happens in the vegan and vegetarian plant-based world much like a religion or a multi-level marketing company does vegans you know bring you in and they tell you how amazing all the health benefits and the morality benefits and, you know, all of the, you'll just feel like at one with the earth and and mother nature and mother nature will bow down before you because you've done such an amazing thing. You know, they, they sell you this idea that you'll be floating on a moral cloud. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen a moral cloud, but here's the hot tip. It actually sits above everyone else. You're actually better when you get on that cloud. You're a better person than everyone. Even though even though you have to try really hard not to be, you know, not not let it out, you are actually better than everyone else. <laughs> even though as a vegan we accept everyone. We're better. Now, I know that doesn't apply to all vegans or vegetarians or plant-based people. Do you know chemotherapy is uh, plant-based and that's not something I support you putting in your body either. For the most part, for the most part. The point is it's all about context and perspective and the way that you go about it. And uh, and along the lines and along this line of thinking, it's really binary. It's extremely binary thinking. Most of the women that I work with have developed over the years a black and white thinking, an all in or all out, or a not this and not that, or this but not that. Good, bad. See how this, see this polarity of language that I'm using? Like it puts things at either end of the spectrum. And being vejo or vegan was usually a contributor to this state of mind for the people that I've worked with, which plays into emotional eating stuff, plays into psychological uh, confusion about food, plays into. Surrendering to eating the wrong food plays into self-sabotage. And so, these vegan veggio journeys that people have been on because they want to feel better, whether it be lose weight, whether it be morally better, whether it be insert, all of the reasons to make that decision, this plays into this complex relationship with food, which shouldn't be complex, but all the journeys that we've been on have led it to being complex. Uh, and, And it's this binary thinking. Now, this type of binary thinking absolutely contributes to all sorts of problems in all sorts of you know, worlds and fans the flames of that kind of thinking. And sometimes binary thinking is really useful, right? But in this situation of your health journey, I really don't think it is. Um, And it can also lead to a belief system about food that is actually not rooted in reality. And I think this is one of the issues with the vegan or plant-based or vegetarian message is that it becomes about ideology and politics rather than nutrition and human optimization, right? Which is, I mean, we could have this debate forever. There's no joking about that. Like this could go for a long time. And actually, Joe Rogan's had very long podcasts with people debating, you know, vegan, plant-based versus insert all other diets which do include animal protein so it's just—it's an overwhelming thing, but I think the biggest issue with it is this piece, this ideological piece. And if you've been convinced that vegetables are the epitome of health, and so the more plants, therefore, the better the diet, um, you know, you could argue that that's possible. It's, but it's also kind of like the same marketing tactics that have been applied to either end of the food spectrum, whether it be veganism and plant-based, or whether it be uh, sugar and vegetable oil or fast food. It's the same kind of marketing tactics. You know, slowly over time, changing your belief system about a particular topic so that you insert belief system that you have. Um, And it's the same with the algorithm on social media. As soon as you start Googling, um, you know, it could be carnival or plant-based, you'll start seeing more and more videos that confirm what you've given the algorithm. They'll just keep spitting out videos at you that confirm the thing you just learned. You'll be like, "Oh my God, it's this whole movement. Everybody thinks like this. Actually, it's just the rabbit hole that you went down, and the algorithm feeds it. You should watch the documentary, uh, "The Social Dilemma, the social Dilemma," um, on Netflix actually talks about how these algorithms create extreme perspectives um, and points of view on YouTube in you know, in all the platforms basically that use it because they're hijacking your belief system and we all want to believe that what the world that we currently experience is true. And so, we continue to look for evidence that confirms that truth. It's effectively a brainwashing exercise. Social media is a brainwashing exercise with marketing as the front runner for convincing you of stuff. Whether it be true or not, or whether it make a dollar or not, you know, it's applied everywhere. So, moral of the story is this piece of convincing you, brainwashing you, idealizing, you know, the concept of being more moral than everybody else, blah, blah, blah. I think actually that's the biggest issue. It's not actually nutrition, but we'll get there. That's still a significant issue. Now, just a quick disclaimer. I don't think factory farming is the best that it can be. I absolutely believe the meat industry and the animal protein industry has a long way to go in order to be able to create better environments for animals and produce healthier meat. There's no doubt about that. I think that just because someone isn't vegan doesn't mean they agree with the dodgy farming practices. See see how this binary thinking is not helpful because there's tons of farms that are great. And if you look historically, farming's actually come a long way. Doesn't mean that it's worth celebrating yet, but it's come a very long way. Um, and this binary thinking, it's totally inflexible to the diversity of everyday life. And of course, nature. Nature is not binary. We are, humans are of nature. Plants are of nature animals are of nature and there's nothing binary about those exceptionally complex systems and i do think regenerative farming moving forward is the way of the future and for both the earth and for humans and yes regenerative farming includes plants and animals so it's a great concept and actually we have a podcast episode coming out in a couple of weeks episode 151 Check that one out for regenerative farming. And the one to follow that up with would be episode 97 with Diana Rogers. Uh, Episode 151 is with Regen Ray, Ray Miladoni. So check it out. But as I was saying, I think regenerative farming is the way for the future. And many farms are starting to shift in that direction so that they do look for meat. So, when you do look for meat, find ethical farms that feed their animals natural diets and let them get sun and make sure the animals are happy and healthy and and all of the things. Whether it be a regen farm or an organic biodynamic farm, like ask questions. Ask questions. So, that's, that's the first big piece I want to talk about. The next, I'm just going to bust through um, seven reasons why I think or why I don't choose to be a vegan or a vegetarian. And these don't all apply to everyone, but these do apply to a lot of people that have been down this path. And and these are reasons that, are, that I think going making this decision are not healthy for most people. Not everyone, most people. Important to note that, yes, vegetarians have a lower percentage of people being affected by these things that I'm about to mention than vegans. Vegan is more extreme. However, it doesn't mean that vegetarians aren't experiencing them. And there's still a significant amount of vegetarians that do experience the things that I'm going to mention. So, The other thing to mention as well that's really, really important to talk about is the fact that just because you might have genetics that support a plant-based diet or support being vegan a little better than somebody else doesn't mean veganism is the best thing for you. Now, that's really important to get clear on because some people bang on about the genetic piece. They're like, oh, yeah, but my genetics are obviously better on a plant-based diet. Yes, if you were to compare 10 people... They would have 10 different genetics and they would have 10 different adaptability mechanisms to a vegetarian diet and somebody in that group would be able to adapt to a vegetarian diet the best. That doesn't mean that that diet is the best thing for them. If they're great on a vegan diet, it doesn't mean veganism is the best thing for them. Does that make sense? I think there's a lot of things lost in translation in that topic because when people say I've got good genetics for plant-based diet, it doesn't mean that it's the best diet for you. And I genuinely don't believe that a fully plant-based diet is the best thing for anyone in total honesty. Doesn't mean that I think you should be a carnivore either though. So remember, non-binary thinking. Don't think in zeros and ones. Don't think in yes and no. Don't think in good or bad. Nutrition is a spectrum and we all fall somewhere different on that spectrum. However, the majority of us are all humans. <laughs> and so there's a big chunk of information right in the middle that will apply to virtually everyone. All right, let's get into this list. Let's get into it. So. Number one, most vegetarians and vegans and plant-based people are granitarians. But <laughs> bet you've never heard that, a granitarian. So they get most of their fuel from high-carbohydrate, refined breads, pastas, rices, cereals. All of this stuff is really not good for you in the most part. Like, I mean, if you get sprouted bread organic, biodynamic sprouted bread. Maybe you're looking in the bread options, but most of these things are not good for you. Why? Because they're stripped of lots of the nutrition in the refinement process, in the cooking process, in the farming practices. They're really manufactured, a lot of these, especially, you know, the cheaper you go, basically, at the supermarket, the more production has been put into it and the more goodness has been flogged out of it. And many of these things have Vegetable oils, which are super destructive to your arteries and your body overall, your brain—they call co- the free radical damage they cause—is monumental. As well, they have sugar added into them, many of them, to sweeten them, to make them tasty. Uh, and and this is just this is the baseline for most people that go on a plant-based diet. And I'm going to talk about why a little bit further on. That doesn't mean that there isn't a little bit of nutrition in these things. Sure, I'm not debating that, but. Unfortunately, if you base your diet irrelevant of the kind of philosophy that you follow, if the baseline is breads, pastas, cereals, and rices, you're not going to be overly healthy. You're just not. It's just not going to go well for you. (laughs) Show me someone that eats like this and is doing well. You won't find somebody. Plus, the impacts on your gut health, the impacts on your insulin and blood sugar management, therefore, your emotional eating and your sugar cravings are all dysfunctional for most people. Remember everyone, when I speak, I'm speaking for most people both from the data, from the summits that I've been on and from evidence from working with clients. Number two is when you're eating all of this stuff, all of this plant-based stuff and you're going through a period in life where you're super stressed or you've had a life that is super stressful, you've got your adrenal glands which are usually feeling pretty knackered and this is very particular for women. So, if the body's in a constant state of stress and this is particularly if you're going through perimenopause or menopause and you're trying to eat on a plant-based diet there's likely a protein deficiency and so when you're under stress and your body needs to use protein in the process of managing itself and fueling itself your body's going to go to its own muscle stores and it's going to break down the protein in your body okay a lot of people uh, lose weight when they're sleep deprived, when they're stressed, when they're malnourished or undernourished, and a lot of the time people are like, "Oh, I've lost weight, but I still kind of feel gross and I'm still a bit pudgy and you know the fat hasn't quite gone and that's often because people are so unhealthy because of the lack of sleep, lack of stress management and lack of nourishment from diverse source of micronutrients that their body begins breaking down the protein, the lean muscle in the body as a fuel source uh, and this can happen if you're excessively stressed and you're on a plant-based diet which is you know now demanding from the body some more protein unfortunately if those adrenals are running knackered and you're tired and you're worn out the body's going to go to muscle especially for the perimenopause and menopausal group number three kind of touched on this on point one blood sugar and insulin rises it goes all over the place because being plant-based is inherently high carbohydrate you can't avoid it. However, the fiber, of course, the fiber in vegetables really slows down the blood sugar spike. However, if you're always at every single meal eating high carbohydrate, then you can still develop type 2 diabetes. You can still develop insulin resistance. It's much less likely if you're eating just actual plants because most vegans and vegetarians are eating all sorts of super processed, refined, manufactured things that have got Tons of sugar in them, tons of vegetable oil in them. But if you're just eating plants, that's not so bad. But most people are not eating just whole real food plants. And breads and cereals and pasta do not classify as whole real foods, by the way. So, you can still have carbohydrate issues. You can still have insulin issues. You can still end up on diabetes medication, on insulin injections, if you are eating a vegetarian or vegan diet. And most people, in my experience, which I'll talk about at the end, uh, do this all the wrong way. They find their sources of nutrition in all the wrong spots. The next one is, I see this all the time, protein deficiency. And yes, vegans and vegetarians and plant-based people will bang on about how they think that you can get all the protein you need from plants. And guess what? You can. You can. But you've got to eat a lot. You've got to eat a lot. And then we get into a conversation about food volume and calories and nobody likes the calories conversation, but if you're eating so much of a particular food, whether it be hemp seeds, whether it be nuts, whether it be chia seeds, whatever it might be, you know, to get up your protein intake, then naturally, again, if you're eating whole real foods, which every diet should be centered around, then naturally you're going to, again, increase the amount of carbohydrates because when it comes to plant-based foods, the percentage of protein content versus the percentage of carbohydrate content is that there are always a lot of carbs that accompany protein when it comes to plant whereas with animal it's mainly protein and fat and in many instances zero carbohydrate so the catch is that if you're eating whole real food then you are consuming lots of carbohydrate to meet your protein requirement. Now, the difference here is when it comes to comparing this to uh, the way that you might do it otherwise is if you're supplementing, like if you're adding in different proteins, that's not a whole real food, is it? You're buying powders. That's not natural. That's not healthy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Supplements and powders, I use them. I tell people to use them. I tell clients to use them, but they absolutely are about the top you know 5% of what you're doing if you're not nailing the 95% with whole real food then there's work to be done if you're filling up your protein stores through protein shakes that you make with powdered stuff with pea protein hemp protein and you think that that's a morally superior option then i would encourage you to go and look at the farms that those supplements come from originally Um, and not only that but look at what's in the supplement supplementing yourself out of protein deficiency because you've chosen to be plant-based, I do not think is a healthy way to get your protein, nor is it natural. I'm a biologist. So when we talk about health and nutrition and genetics, I'm always going to default to what is healthiest for the human based on the genetic experience that humans have had for the whole time we've been on this planet. And yeah, there could be an argument that we're smarter and we're conscious now and we understand how to rationalize and think logically. And so using science to do things in this way means we can create a better planet. Uh, Yeah, I get how you got there, but I totally disagree. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Um, all right, number five, and I kind of just touched on this. The requirement to supplement like vitamins and minerals that you normally get from a full, wholesome diet if we are supplementing we are not mimicking nature and therefore if we're not mimicking nature we're not we're not creating the most optimal scenario for ourselves now don't get me wrong i don't think that back in the day that humans were able to always get everything they needed however now we we've got the best of both worlds we've got the best of science and we've got the best of historical data from being humans in nature and if we combine those two things we can come out with something really great however sometimes science says actually you know what We'll do our part by creating supplements, but we'll also pretend like we can do Mother Nature better. You can't. That's why, unfortunately, being plant-based leads to B12 deficiencies, iron deficiencies, protein deficiencies. And we have to use supplements, which are unnatural, unnatural concentrations of different things. And often, most of the time that you take supplements, those things that you're putting in your body are synthetic lab-created versions that are attempting to mimic reality and in many situations don't successfully mimic reality. You just pee them out not all of them, of course, a lot of them are really great. But the point is that they act as a thing called analogues in many instances for micronutrients. Now, there's a lot of, you know, to get down with the actual data, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of details and there's a lot of things that work really well. But again, the whole I'm talking about the whole concept of having to supplement your way out of a deficiency as a result of your dietary choice. I think that's a really irresponsible thing to do as a human. As a human, your individual priority for yourself should be the ability for your body to run as effectively and efficiently and as optimally as possible. Then everything outside of your body is second to that. That's what I believe. Human health is number one. Because when we are as healthy as we can be, we can then make good moral decisions that make sense for everyone. Whereas if we just act on morality, we're often neglecting the nutritional requirements of our own being, our own human vessel. It's like our brain has gotten so smart that it's willing to sacrifice the body in the name of morals for animals that would probably happily kill us. You know, it's it's just an interesting conundrum. It's like, oh, I'll let my human body deteriorate because morals. But you wouldn't be offered the same morals if you were out in nature. If you were, it would be an amazing photo opportunity for National Geographic, but it would be rare. So, I think that if we are optimally, we are optimal humans in the way that we go about things nutritionally and we have less supplementation we can make smarter and better decisions that make everyone happy are the least harmful and concepts like regenerative farming can be born where we can work with the ecosystem not just isolated ideologies about different parts because a lot of vegans and vegetarians are looking at their plate they're making decisions on their plate but they don't know anything about the food chain all the way back to the soil and then the plant and then the farming and then the manufacture and all of the things that have been added like most vegans are looking in isolation at their plate when you need to consider the whole line because if we have the conversation about sentience and morality like you know to the bugs in the ground to the, the rats and the rabbits that die when you're monocropping all the microbiodiversity, biodiversity you know it's, is that a moral decision this conversation can go forever and that's why you got to listen to episode 151 and 97 because we talk more on this but my point is that Using supplementation and science to create supplements that don't quite always match nature seems like a stupid thing to do when nature is right there. Just what I think. Not to mention that being on a plant-based diet can lead to requiring supplements because you throw a few things out in the body it could be stomach acid going lower which is common with vegan and vegetarians um, and therefore having to when you try meat again or you try an animal protein you're like oh this is awful i felt terrible because you've lost particular colonies in your your microbiome that no longer digest that so you know dietary transitions in any direction are challenging and there's always a honeymoon period there's always a honeymoon period i'll get to that that's coming up um Next one, I've already kind of talked about this. Number six is B12 and iron. So again, it's the supplement conversation. If you can't get B12 and iron, iron is the number one deficiency in the whole world. So it's hard to come by anyway. Um, And there's a number of reasons why you know, particularly white women, but you know, women in general and humans in general have issues absorbing iron. And it can be related to a lack of B12. It can be related to the inadequate micronutrient content of factory farmed meat, but also um, monocultured uh, agriculture. It can also be as a result of high insulin and high sugar diets, again, which is inevitable on a vegan and vegetarian diet um, that you are naturally higher carbohydrate because one of the mechanisms of insulin in some ways can actually block the uptake of different things. So, there's another whole rabbit hole there. But the point is that these are, even for people that have wholesome diets, these are not easy to get in abundance. Um, and so, moving to a plant-based source of these, and again, B12, you don't get a plant-based source. You have to supplement it. You have to supplement it. And yes, we could argue algae is a plant-based source, but I think I disagree with that. I think it's living. I think it's living but we can debate that all day but in order to get iron we need B12 so not only can you get iron from plants but it's called non-heme iron and the other thing is with plants is that plants have mechanisms built into them to protect them so they're called anti-nutrients so things like phytates and oxalates that protect the plant from being absorbed by the human it's literally a defense mechanism because it's like no we need the iron we need the iron to keep growing as a plant because a plant is obviously not conscious and doesn't realize it's actually in your gastrointestinal tract at that particular time so So, anti-nutrients prevent the absorption of different things and phytates as well stop good nutrition going from plants into humans. Not completely, only a little bit for some things, some things not at all. Uh, But the point is these are all things to factor into the micronutrient uh, deficiencies that evolve from doing this on a long-term basis. And the last one, number seven, is that it's too complex to get right leading to functional nutritional deficiencies, right? And what do I mean by that? People like plants, just eat plants. Nutrition is complex and broad. And then you get these stupid documentaries and vegan propaganda like the game changers. Those guys in that and the athletes in that have, one, they take tons of supplements, so not natural source of food. And two, they have staff. They have millions of dollars to pay dieticians and doctors and supplement endorsements and all of their personal trainers, like they have it highly curated. Um, Actually, there's an Australian football team at the minute. I think it's the Melbourne Demons who won the grand final this year. They have two players on their team. One is a carnivore and one is a vegan. And they both are at the elite level of Australian sport. The team literally won the biggest game that you can win this year. So the point is that if you've got a supportive nutrition team, health team, you can achieve it. Totally. But most people listening to this podcast don't have access to that that level of amazingness. And so, for the first few weeks, most people that go plant-based, they do it properly. They go to the health store. They acquaint themselves with all these things. They realize the bill's a bit, oh, shit, that's a bit much. Um, and they're like, but that's all right because we're we're doing this. We're doing this. Then in a few weeks, when the novelty wears off, it just ends up being what's cheap and what's available and what's nearby. And that leads to what I call functional nutritional deficiencies because The nutritional deficiency is because you are no longer performing the function of going to the farm, of going to the farmer's market, of going to the dietician, of going to the naturopath or the nutritionist to find out what you're missing, of going to the doctor and getting bloods done to make sure that things aren't falling apart. That's an expensive venture. So it becomes a a functional deficiency in not doing the diet properly because most of us don't have the time or resources to be able to execute on the level of elite athletes. So these are the major reasons that I think most people uh, struggle with or don't feel great on a vegetarian or vegan or plant-based diet. And the other thing to mention is that like every diet, everybody feels amazing in the first few weeks. There's no doubt. And that's because you're removing the standard Australian diet, the sad diet, the standard American diet. If you go plant-based, it's not because you're plant-based. It's because you removed all of the shit. And I would say the same thing to you if you went carnivore. It's because you removed all of the crap, all of the refined sugars, carbohydrates, vegetable oils, and insert all of the chemical lab made molecules and additives and flavorings that are added into this food getting rid of that stuff is huge and even if we don't like i just touched on there at the end even if we don't consider the, the lack of toxic nutrition or detrimental nutrition like the sugar because yeah technically sugars and vegetable oils are still nutrition they're just bad <laughs> they're bad nutrition but even the detoxification process of the, the chemicals that are added into bags and boxes and cans in order to make things last longer, uh, in order to make the packaging look pretty, in order to you know, in order to make it taste yummy, even the detoxification of those molecules means that you can start picking up nutrition in places that you couldn't get it before. Which and all diets uh, have this honeymoon period. Some vegans feel great for a month. Some vegans feel great for five years before the nutritional deficiencies start to roll in. But again, you can do it the right way. You can if you've got all the resources and all the bits and pieces and all the the team, the healthcare team and blood results in order to be able to make these decisions for you. And so, to wrap up, I'm going to let you know that I'm uh, I'm not (laughs) plant-based. If you haven't figured it out by now, I am not vegan. I am not vegetarian and you will never find me being a vegan or a vegetarian. I am not binary in my thinking. I, I have experimented with veganism. I've experimented with not eating carbs. I've experimented with all sorts of dietary templates. And the one that I settle on is JIRF, just eat real food. In any situation, make sure that everything on your plate looks like it came from a farm. If it looks packaged, if it looks manufactured, you're not doing it the right way. It's not going to help, right? Jeff, just eat real food and, and I'm actually planning to experiment with carnivore soon uh, because I like to actually go into these diets and see how I feel and measure the impact on my body uh, but again, I'm fortunate enough to understand the nutrition that is required going into my body and you, again, carnivore, you can stuff carnivore up the same way. If you do carnivore and you just eat steak, you're going to miss out on a bunch of different things. You, carnivore needs to be done nose to tail. You need to be getting the bones in doing the broth doing the cartilage most importantly the organs which is something that i already have as part of my diet organs are one of the most important things you could put in your body they're phenomenal and you can hide them Uh, liver tastes a bit full on but other organs are actually really easy to put into things. Uh, Veronica Smith Whole Foods, who I collaborate with, the amazing healthy whole food prepackaged chef in Tasmania. She has a few recipes called sneaky meatballs and sneaky burgers. And they, uh, they have things like kidney in them and brains in them and heart in them. And you know she includes all of these amazing organs in order to nutritionally fuel her clients because that's what they're interested in. Um, and if you're one of them, I'm jealous. Because she can't yet ship a heap of stuff over to us here in Melbourne, but I tell you what, when she can, everybody get on it. So anyway, one final thing I'd I'd mention to anybody plant-based or anyone who's been plant-based or anyone who thinks that plant-based is becoming more of a thing because they can see McDonald's getting the Beyond Burger and Grilled and KFC and all of these different places now doing plant-based options. Why do you think those businesses existed in the first place? To make money, right? To make money. Those companies are billion-dollar companies. Maybe Grilled isn't yet, but Macca's definitely is. KFC definitely is, right? Why would those companies try and shortchange themselves by moving to a plant-based offering? Is it because they want to satisfy a portion of the market and keep a portion of the market that they felt moved away from their product back in the front door? One, highly likely. Uh, So that, you know, now that they've gone from just meat eaters to everybody, right? Two, is it cheaper? Is it cheaper? Are these lab-grown and created and manufactured plant-based meat alternatives that have a long list of science words in their ingredient list, are they cheaper to make? I would look into that because guess what? It is so much cheaper to produce plants and chemicals than it is to produce protein. So when you see the news and when you see different companies and and the FDA and the TGA and all of these different bodies saying a move to a more plant-based diet would be better for everyone, I would really encourage you to look into big food and big agriculture and the economics of how much it costs to produce plants and chemicals versus the cost of producing animal protein it is significantly different and it will give you a different perspective on why all of these economic behemoths are encouraging or adding plant-based options to their menu. There's a rabbit hole for you. Enjoy. (laughs) So the answer to your question, I am not vegan, vegetarian or plant-based. I am just eat real food. I'm plants, I'm nuts, I'm seeds, I'm organ meats, I'm supplements, I'm everything, I'm all of the things, I'm the healthiest that I can be in the context that I'm living in and making the best decisions most of the time and that doesn't mean that I don't love cookies because sometimes I love cookies (laughs) because I'm a human. Um, So, I hope this has answered the question and uh, I'd love to know what you think and if you feel good or bad about it or what you think. If you take anything from this, it's not don't be vegetarian or vegan, it's One, do it properly if you do. If you've got the financial capacity to do it properly, awesome. Do it properly. The big thing to take away, I think, is the binary thinking. Don't think in good or bad. Don't think in yes or no. Don't think in all or nothing. Um, And I know a lot of people that I work with are all or nothing people, but that's literally something we work on throughout the program is how to not think in such binary, finite terms because there's no flexibility and we're all different. We're all different. We have our different experiences. However, We all want to be happy and healthy and that's why we're all here. So I hope that answered your question and I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. I really very much do look forward to chatting to you really soon. Catch you on the next episode. Bye